well, it's great to be with you this morning, uh, wherever you are watching from the comfort of your home or wherever you're watching this, uh, partaking of this. It's an honor and a privilege. Let's open in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit. And we ask, Lord God, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would minister to us today, Lord God, through this word. You would strengthen your people. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would fill my heart and my mind and my mouth with your words for your people, Lord God. Would you have your way with this message, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Right, well, today we are taking a break. Um, actually, today and next week, we're going to take a break from our current series that we've been doing. We've been looking at Attributes of God, and it's been a powerful series. I'm sure you'll agree with me. And we have a few more attributes that we're going to be looking at, but for the next two weeks that's this week and next week we're going to be having a look at Timothy, at to Timothy, and really looking at um, Paul's last words to his spiritual son Timothy. So, the title of my message for today is Last Words. And um, that's why it's because to Timothy was really Paul's last letter before he uh, passed away. And so we're looking at, I'm going to be looking at two pericopes, one today and one, one next week, two passages from to Timothy, uh, really trusting the Holy Spirit that he will encourage and strengthen his people through these particular messages. And um, I've chosen, I've been doing a study of Timothy, the pastoral epistles, and I've been really deeply impacted specifically by 2 Timothy. Um, and I, I hope that these two small passages that we look at in the next two weeks, I hope that you are deeply impacted by them as well. But I want to encourage you to go ahead and read through the whole book of 2 Timothy um, so that as you listen to these messages, you can listen to them in the context of the complete book. It's a short book. Um, yeah, and, and I know that the Holy Spirit will minister to you as you do that. So the title of my message today is Last Words. Um, and, and 2 Timothy is the last letter written by the Apostle Paul. At the time of writing this, he was in prison and he was in terrible conditions and he was awaiting death and he was aware that his death was imminent. And it's so interesting to me and actually quite deeply moving that the imminent, um, that the pressing burdens on his heart whilst he was in prison in terrible conditions was were not for himself. You know, at the end of, of 2 Timothy, you see one of the reasons for him writing Timothy was to request for him to come. He said, come and bring Mark, come quickly. He knew that he was about to, to pass away. He said, come quickly and please bring for me. And he mentioned some personal effects. Um, and he mentions that everybody's deserted him and the only one left with him is, is Luke. But um, even though he was in those conditions, even though he desired for Timothy to come and bring him his personal effects, as you read through the book of 2 Timothy, you can see that his main 
his main, the main thing on his heart was really Timothy, his spiritual son, and the preservation and safeguarding of the purity of the gospel. And also he was concerned for the church in Ephesus, which he'd left Timothy in charge of. And so that really impacts, it impacts me that here is this great apostle awaiting death in terrible conditions, cold, um, and, and most everyone has deserted him except for Luke. And yet the pressing burden on his heart was not for himself. It was for the gospel. It was for his son, Timothy. It was for the church that he'd left Timothy in charge of in Ephesus. And, and that's really, that, that, that really touches me. And I think just knowing as I'm reading this to the book of 2 Timothy and understanding that these were his last words and he knew that he possibly may not see Timothy again. So it's his last recorded words and will and testament for Timothy. He was aware that he may not see Timothy. He hoped to, but he didn't know. And so as he was writing this, he was writing it um, as if he, he wouldn't see Timothy again. And just to give a bit of context in terms of the church in Ephesus and the previous book to Timothy, the previous letter to Timothy, that's 1 Timothy. Um, Paul had placed Timothy in charge of the church in Ephesus and Timothy was experiencing serious difficulties within the church. And the book of 1 Timothy was a personal letter from the Apostle Paul to Timothy to encourage him and to instruct Timothy in the challenging task that um, he'd been left with of overseeing that church in Ephesus. And in the church in Ephesus, there were false teachers, there were doctrinal errors, and there were the fruit of these false teachings that needed to be addressed. And so Paul uh, instructs uh, Timothy how to how to deal with the situation in his let in the first in one Timothy, which is his first letter to Timothy, and he practically outlines some steps that Timothy needs to take in addressing specific challenges um, that he was facing at the time and in that context, and and basically. The Apostle Paul instructed his spiritual son how to combat the false teachers, how to deal with different groupings of people within that church at that time. And, and all the while he was instructing Timothy to continue to teach sound doctrine and to lead an exemplary life. And so that was, that was his first letter to Timothy. And now the second letter he writes, now he's actually in prison. He's in terrible conditions. He's chained. Some people actually, some uh, commentators actually note that, um, you know, he mentions in the book of, of 2 Timothy that he was chained, but the word is not chained. So some people actually think that Luke was writing this uh, letter for him because he couldn't actually write it himself. But this is two to three years after the, the book of 1 Timothy was lit, written. His first letter to Timothy was written. And now Paul is writing to Timothy from terrible conditions. Um, he's cold. He's Everyone has left him, the people that were, were around him. He's bound in chains and he's awaiting certain death. Um, so yeah, he wants them to visit him. He wants them to bring personal effects with. But Paul is concerned with Timothy. He's concerned with the church. And he really wants to encourage Timothy. And this is the purpose 
of this particular letter. He wants to encourage and instruct Timothy around being faithful in his ministry, around being, around persevering in the face of difficulties, around enduring suffering. And he's got, he's, he encourages Timothy um, and the pericope or the passage that we're going to look at today. There are specific qualities that he wants to encourage Timothy around in order that he can endure in the face of suffering. And Paul is actually extending an invitation in this book to Timothy, to Timothy, uh, to his son Timothy, to say, share with sufferings for the gospel, share with me in sufferings for the gospel. And, and the, this is how you can persevere in the face of difficulties and challenges and sufferings. And he made it very clear this is Paul made it very clear that it is not uncommon to experience suffering and difficulties um, because of the gospel or, uh, you know, because we pursue and pursue Christ Jesus, because we pursue his word, because we build our lives and our families and our marriages and our businesses upon the word of God. And so we shouldn't be surprised when challenges rear their heads and we need to turn to the word and look at what we can glean from the word of God in terms of persevering in the face of suffering, in terms of what God words, what God's word can uh, tell us, what the Holy Spirit can tell us through these particular letters in terms of how we can persevere in the face of difficulties and suffering. And um, yeah, so that is really what I'm wanting to do today in looking in looking at to Timothy. Um, and I'm just going to briefly go through the first chapter of Timothy just to to plant and to land and to ground the passage that we're going to look at. We're going to look at a passage from 2 Timothy 2, but just starting in 2 Timothy 1. Um, we see in 2 Timothy 1 verse 6 that Paul exhorts Timothy to be faithful to use his gift and to not be ashamed of the gospel and to share in its requisite sufferings. And that's 2 Timothy 1 verse 8, to share in its sufferings. Um, and he encourages his son and the Lord to keep sound doctrine. That's in 1 verse 13. And um, Paul continues and he encourages Timothy to be strengthened by the grace in Christ Jesus. That's chapter 2 verse 1. And we're going to look at that a little bit more in a little bit more detail and he encourages him to endure hardship in chapter 2 verse 2 um, and he continues he instructs Timothy to be diligent in handling the word of truth to shun idle words and charge others to do likewise that in that is 2 verse uh, 14 and 16 um, as we continue through chapter 2 we see that he instructs Timothy to flee the desires of youth that's 2 verse 22 um, and at the end, 2 Timothy 4 verse 1 to 8, Paul pens in a very succinct fashion a number of direct instructions for Timothy specifically around sharing the word. He wants Timothy to preach, to convince, to rebuke, to exhort, to be ready in and out of season. And from the multitude of all these exhortations and instructions throughout this particular letter, it's evident that one of Paul's primary purposes in writing this letter was to strengthen and instruct his son in the faith in the midst of the difficulties and error within the church in Ephesus at the time. And, and this is the background and context of this particular pericope, pericope that we're going to be looking at today. And that particular pericope is 2 Timothy, verse two, uh, 2 Timothy 2 verse 1 
to 13. Now, as we begin to dig into this particular passage, I'm really wanting you to open your hearts. Yes, it's a study of what Paul was, was instructing Timothy around, but always when we look at these types of studies and we explore what was what was the purpose exegetical purpose of this particular passage we need to be able to say okay well let me take that and see how is the holy spirit speaking to me through that today and that is what i want you to do i want you to open up your heart and say holy spirit how are you speaking to me today and i really believe that one of the things he's wanting to do is wanting to encourage us and he's wanting to help us to keep persevering in the face of difficulties, in the face of challenges and trials. And he's wanting us to be strengthened. Um, so yeah, let's, let's get on and have a look at this particular passage. I'm going to read it in two translations. It's always good when you are studying a particular passage in scripture to read it in a number of translations. So to read it in two more literal translations and to read it in a few um, more loose translations. So I've picked the New King James Version and the NLT. I'm going to start with the New King James Version. It says, this is Paul writing to Timothy. He says, you therefore, my, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Consider what I say and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. Remember that Christ Jesus of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel for which I suffered trouble as an evildoer even to the point of chains. But the word of God is not chained. Therefore, I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may, be, may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This is a faithful saying. For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself powerful passage. In the NLT it reads, Timothy, my dear son, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. You have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. Endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life, for then they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. And athletes cannot win the prize unless they follow the rules. And hardworking farmers should be first to enjoy the fruit of their labor. Think about what I'm saying. The Lord will help you understand all these things. Always remember that Jesus Christ, a descendant of King David, was raised from the dead. And this is the good news that I preach. And because I preach this good news, I am suffering and have been chained like a criminal. But the word of God cannot be chained. So I'm willing to endure anything if it will bring salvation and eternal glory in Christ Jesus to those God has chosen. 
This is a trustworthy saying. If we die with him, we will also live with him. If we endure hardship, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. He cannot deny who he is. So Paul is exhorting Timothy to endure, to join him in his sufferings and to endure. And he lists qualities that Timothy needs in order to be faithful and effective in his ministry and fulfill and endure everything that that is in front of him whilst being faithful with what God has given him to do. Now, in chapter 1, verse 6 of 2 Timothy, Paul exhorted Timothy around being faithful to use his gift, to not be ashamed of the gospel and share in its sufferings. And if we look then in in chapter 2, verse 1, what do we see? We see that he encourages Timothy to be strengthened by grace in Christ Jesus and to endure hardship. And if we look at that connection between chapter 1, verse um, the beginning of chapter 1, where he, he encouraged them to not be ashamed of the gospel and share in its requisite sufferings. And then chapter 2, um, verse 3, where he's encouraging him to endure hardship and to persevere in suffering. Some theologians suggest that these instructions around enduring hardship from uh, chapter 2, verse 2 onwards, are actually a continuation of Paul's exhortation earlier in the letter, Um to share with Paul in suffering for the gospel in chapter 1 verse 8. So so it's all con- it's it's connected it's rooted in chapter 1 and he's still extending the invitation in chapter 2 to share in in suffering and to endure and to endure hardship and what what Paul does then from then in, in chapter 2 is he proceeds from that point to utilize various forms of imagery to depict qualities that are needed for effective ministry and persevering and being faithful in what God has called Timothy to do and and as we saw just now when we read this particular passage he the, the different qualities were number 1 in 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 chapter 2 verse 2 with a competent teacher um, from verse 3 to 4, the enduring soldier. Uh, verse 5, the self-disciplined athlete. Verse 6, the hard-working farmer. And the last three of these particular images provide understanding into the types of qualities Paul wanted Timothy to perfect in suffering. So Paul wanted Timothy to perfect these in suffering and in so doing, he would persevere and remain faithful in his ministry and in safeguarding the gospel in the church in Ephesus. And in the same way, we can look to these images and apply them in our lives because we, we too are being perfected and perfected as we're being made mature, we're being perfected and looking to these qualities and looking at our lives and saying, these are things we too need to emulate. We can end up persevering and remaining faithful in the things that God has called us to um, in our lives, whether it's in ministry, whether it's in business, whatever aspect of our lives we're wanting to apply them to, we too need to look to these images and say, okay, I need to cultivate this quality in my life. I, I need to cultivate that quality in my life. Um, and we see after Paul looked at those particular images and gave those images to Timothy, he then points Timothy to Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah, to the resurrection of Christ and the central focus of the gospel. And he continues in verse 9 and 10 and, and, and um, 
states how he himself was suffering for the sake of the gospel. And he expresses the primary goal um, of his suffering, which is basically other people, that other people might come to know the Lord. Other people might, um, you know, experience God and, um, and salvation. And, and that is incredibly beautiful. But he reminds, he reminds Timothy um, that Christ too suffered and he too suffered. Um, and he's reminding Timothy towards the end of that passage that there is a reward for those who choose to suffer. And he finishes off that particular passage with a trustworthy saying, which is one of his five trustworthy sayings that we see throughout um, some of the letters that Paul wrote. Um, yeah, and, and it's, here is a trustworthy saying, if we died with him, we'll live with him. If we endure, we'll reign with him. You know, he's encouraging Timothy that... Uh, to endure, that there's a reward at the end of the day. And one of the reasons Paul may have done this was to encourage Timothy to persevere and remain faithful through difficulties and trials as Jesus had and as Paul was continuing to do. And so that's really, really encouraging that we are not alone. It shouldn't surprise us when we find ourselves struggling in terms of certain persecutions in terms of suffering for the sake of the gospel. You know, maybe someone finds themselves in a business environment and they're struggling because they're a believer. Maybe they don't want to give a bribe and they, they feel like, Lord, everyone around me is progressing because they're doing things that they shouldn't do. And I'm doing things according to your word. And here I'm suffering. Well, God doesn't say in his word that we won't suffer for the sake of the gospel, you know, but he will help us through it all and he will bring something out of it all and we can continue to stand in faith and we grow up through it all. Um, so yeah, we shouldn't be surprised when various trials and challenges beset us um, for the sake of the gospel. Uh, we're in good, we're in good company. So I'm wanting to look more closely at some qualities, some of those qualities that Paul ex uh, 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 kind of explains to Timothy at the beginning of this passage. And um, yeah, so that we can apply them to our lives. And I encourage you to, to allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you. So qualities required for persevering through suffering and remaining faithful in ministry. And when I say in ministry, I'm meaning yes, in ministry, but also whatever God has called you to, whatever he's placed in your hands, um, we need to remain faithful to that, in that which God has called us to. And the first um, verse, 2 Timothy 2 verse 1 says, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So the first quality, the first thing that I'm wanting to encourage us around is to be strong in Christ Jesus. Be strong. In Ephesians 6 verse 10, it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Be strong. If we look at that particular, the use of that in the Greek, what it actually means, it means to endue with strength. It means to strengthen. It means to receive strength, to be strengthened, to increase in strength. And it's the same, it's the same um, Greek that's used in Hebrews 11, verse 32 to 34. I'm going to read it. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms, 
worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. Out of weakness were made strong. Out of weakness were made strong. Became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of aliens. So this is really encouraging for me because sometimes we feel weak. Sometimes we don't feel strong, but you know what? Out of weakness, we can be made strong. God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. And there is no weakness in the strength of God. So God's strength can empower us. And that is what Paul is saying to Timothy. Be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You know, in 1 Corinthians 16 verse 30, it says, Watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. So we need to be strong in the Lord and trust Him to strengthen us. Pray those prayers. Father, I pray that you would strengthen me in my inner man through your Holy Spirit. Strengthen me, Lord God, with your strength. May your strength be made perfect in my weakness. When I am weak, you are strong, Lord. Be strengthened in our inner man through the Holy Spirit. I love what Joshua 1 verse 9 says, Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Wow! For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You know, recently in corporate worship services, even in our times of prayer, I've got that scripture from Isaiah 41 verse 10. So many times, it's like the Holy Spirit is speaking this, fear not, speaking this to the church. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God is with us. God is strengthening us. Yes, we can. We may not feel like we can, but if God is with us and God is strengthening us, yes, we can. So the first quality, the first thing we need is to be strengthened with might but from the Lord. We need to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Amen. The second thing I'm wanting to challenge us regarding is com being a competent teacher, being a teacher. And, and hear me out. You might say, I don't have any desire to teach. I don't want to. That's not necessarily what I'm talking about. Just hear me out. 2 Timothy 2 verse 2, and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. In the NLT it says, you have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. Paul charged Timothy to send on faithfully the message that he had received. Timothy was not to be an innovator of religious novelties, but was to show loyalty and commitment to the gospel message. Paul demanded Timothy's active involvement in the training of a future generation of Christian servants. And this is really important. In our church, we believe in raising up leaders. That is our heart. That is what we want to do. If you are in this church, we want to raise you up. We want to raise up leaders. And the reality is that if you are a leader, you need to be able to share with others what you have been taught. And 
it's really important that all of us act, are active in this particular area. You know, you, are, you may not think you are very far in your Christian walk, but there is someone who, is, who doesn't know as much as you do. There is someone that you can teach or you can share with in terms of what you know. And I'm wanting to encourage us all to have those relationships, have those we walk with, have those that we are being taught by, and have those that we in turn are teaching or sharing or discipling, whatever word you're wanting to use. You know, teach sounds quite, can sound quite intimidating to some people. Share what you've been taught. That is what I'm talking about. Share and, and pass it on to others. You see, the challenge that we see in the church today is many churches, we have this mindset, the people, I'm talking about the congregation, have this mindset that church is simply about coming to church on a Sunday and putting seats, putting, uh, filling seats with behinds, you know. Then those particular people, the feet march out the door and that's what church was about and a box is ticked and we've played our religious game and we've appeased our religious conscience and God is happy with that. No, it's not enough. Jesus didn't say, come and fill a church for me and I'm going to preach. He said to his disciples, you go and make disciples of all nations. And I'm going to look at that just now, the, the Great Commission. Go and make disciples. So you go. So the whole point of, of this, of church, is that people are equipped and raised up to share what they've learned with others, that, that what you have been taught, you can entrust to others who will in turn entrust it to others. And that is how the gospel is meant to spread. It's not meant to be, we'll build a nice building, which we are going to build, by the way. We'll build a nice building and fill seats, on, fill seats on Sundays with people and fill the door with feet that come in and go out. And we'll just make sure that we preach the message. No, that's not what it's about. It's about equipping people who will in turn equip others, who will in turn equip others. We teach people who in turn share what they've learned, who in turn share what they've learned. And in so doing, it's a great big multiplier effect. So we need to be faithful with that. In, in terms of this ministry, if we want to see it grow, that's how it's going to grow. You know, that's how, that's how God desires for it to grow. Okay. So it's really important that we equip ourselves to know what we know and why and what we don't know and why, and that we are able to explain our belief. We are able to explain what we, you know, um, give a reason for the hope. 1 Peter 3 verse 15, it says, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Always be prepared. So if you aren't prepared right now, I've got great news for you. You've got time this week. Go and get prepared. The Bible says always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you. Let's be prepared as a people. Let's share what we've learned as a people. Let's be generous with the wisdom, with the knowledge, with the revelation, with the spiritual insight that God has blessed us with and share it with others, being prepared to share it and be a blessing. And the Great Commission, Matthew 28, verse 16 to 20, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, 
Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So Jesus taught his disciples and then he expected his disciples to go and teach, to go and make disciples. And that's the point. You come here or you sitting in your lounge, you hear the message, you hear teaching and then share it with other people so that that's how the word can spread. In Mark 16 verse 15, Jesus says to his disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He didn't say, go into all the world and bring everyone to church. He said, go into the world and preach the gospel. And so Paul was instructing Timothy around being a competent teacher, saying, you know what, the things that you've heard from me, entrust these to faithful men who will in turn teach others. In the same way, you're listening to teaching week in, week out, hopefully. You're growing spiritually, hopefully, from the word. Share it with others. Entrust it to others. Amen. In that way, the fruit of what God is doing in the ministry will remain. That's that's fruit. He wants the fruit to remain. That's what John 15 says, you know. He wants us to produce fruit and fruit that remains. So let's produce fruit and fruit that remains. Let's produce it in the lives and uh, uh, help it to come forth in the lives of people around us. In that way, it's a, it's a quality for an enduring ministry, for an enduring um for a church to endure because it's beyond just the four walls. It's four walls. It's beyond one person or one family. It's, it's the gospel and it's spreading and we, and we need church to be more like that. The next thing I'm wanting to encourage us regarding is the enduring soldier being, having that quality that uh, is like an enduring soldier. 2 Timothy 2 verse 3 you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. In the NIV it says, join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. And it's interesting because Paul uses this imagery of war and um and bat and battling and and warfare and soldiers um, a few times we see it again in 2 Corinthians 10 verse 3 says for though we walk in the flesh we do not war according to the flesh we also see it in Ephesians 6 verse 10 to 17 where he says finally my brethren be strong in the Lord and the power of his might put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, stand. Therefore, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, which with, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery, dart, fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Same imagery, warfare, soldier, battles, that type of thing. 1 Timothy 1 verse 18, we see it again. This charge I commit to you, son Timothy. This is Paul speaking to Timothy. According to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. 
So Paul is, there's this image of warfare and war and being a soldier. And in that particular time, the soldier was concerned to obey his commander 24 hours a day. And Paul wanted Timothy to display the same zeal and commitment to the Lord. Just like in, in, in those particular days, a soldier's primary goal would be that of pleasing their commander, um, the one who, whom one was serving as a soldier. In the same way, a Christian soldier or a Christian, our primary goal must be that of pleasing our commander with a capital C. And it's not... It's not a reference to someone serving full-time in ministry or as part-time ministry. Paul desired that all believers live as soldiers and, and have that 24-7 commitment to the Lord. It's not a one-day-a-week thing. It's not something that we do only for show when we're in corporate meetings, Sunday service, prayer meetings, gatherings, cell groups, whatever. No, it's a relationship where we desire and we live our lives to please the Lord. And then we also endure hardship as a good soldier because as we're following the Lord and as we're pursuing His will, inevitably there will be hardship. Um, now, in, in, Paul was writing to Timothy in the example that he was using. He was saying, soldiers don't get involved in civilian affairs. Um, in th those times, maybe he was referring to the prohibition of marriage or that type of thing, being able to have a business to farm and all of that. You know, a, a soldier was given entirely to, to soldiering, for want of a better word. Um, so, so Paul was saying to Timothy, give yourself fully to the service of your commanding officer. Have a singleness of purpose, a singleness of mind and a detachment from extraneous cares um, and, and things happening out, you know, on the periphery of life and, and in the world, which have no bearing on your relationship with God, which have no bearing in the fulfillment of what God has called you to do. And Paul's appeal shows the importance of developing an ability to distinguish between doing good things and doing the best things that God wants us to do. You see, we as servants of Christ are not merely to be well-rounded dabblers in all sorts of trivial pursuits. We're not meant to be those who are fair-weather Christians. We, we Christians when it feels good. We, we obey the word when it feels good. We obey the word when it suits us. When we don't like it, then we don't obey it. When it's not convenient to do what God is calling us to do, then we don't do it. No, soldiers are soldiers whether they feel like it or whether they don't. They still show up for work whether they feel like it or whether they don't. They have to go to warfare whether they feel like it or whether they don't. You know, I think the type of Christian that we're reading today in the church is one that is very led by the emotions. Well, they feel like it. Well, it feels good. Well, the prosperity message feels good. So I'm just going to go down that, down that road 100% and I'm going to ignore everything else. No, we have to look at the whole gospel. And sometimes as Christians, we endure hardship. And when we do so, we need to endure it as a good soldier, still obeying our commanding officer. When it's difficult, we still do it. You know, we can't say, oh, well, this pornography feels nice for now and he'll forgive me tomorrow, so I'm going to do it. That is not the way to persevere in life. That is not the way to be faithful and make it to the end successfully in life. 
you know. If I'm in ministry and it's difficult, I can't say, well, my reward is just that I can have an affair on the side and God will forgive me. As I've heard, you know, there's, I've, I've read somewhere that was some of the rhetoric around it. No, you know, there's certain things that will end up tripping me up that I will not fulfill the thing that God has called me to fulfill, that I will not be able to fully persevere in everything that God has for me, you know. So, Pursuing God and desiring to obey Him and to obey His word, even when it's difficult, will ensure that I make it to the end of my race, will ensure that I make it successfully to the goal, that I fulfill what God has for me. You know, a prayer that I've prayed, especially in my earlier years, I prayed it a lot. Lord, may my, may my gifting never supersede my character. I was like, Lord, please, may, may, may the... the you know, I never want to be a statistic. I never want to be a statistic in the ministry. Oh, there's another one. Oh, there's another one. There, there she, there. another one bites the dust. You know, my gifting, the gifting on my life grew so big and my character couldn't sustain it all. There was a fuse line that I never dealt with and the enemy lit it and kaboom and, and a whole lot of devastation happened to, in the ministry. No, I don't want to, I don't want that to happen. And this is a key for us, for those of us who desire to run our races and to finish the thing that God has called us to finish. We have to be able to endure hardship. We get up and we do it whether we feel like it or whether we don't. We obey that word. We obey God's word, whether it feels good or whether it's really, really difficult. And even if it's really, really difficult, I'm enduring hardship as a good soldier of Christ Jesus, and there will be a reward at the end of this particular passage. Paul encourages Timothy that there is a reward, you know, whether it's now on earth or whether it's only afterwards when I get to heaven. But it's important. We need Christians with backbone. You know, where are those Christians with backbone who will stand up with integrity and say, no, I'm not going to pay a bribe. No, I'm not going to turn a blind eye to that. No, I'm not going to get involved in that. No, I'm not going to go and, and, you know, X, Y, or Z, you fill in the blank. Whatever the people, uh, you know, around you that try to influence you. No, I'm not going to do that because I'm enduring. I'm going to fulfill. I'm going to finish my race strong. I'm living my life in accordance with the word of God. And we don't have to be awkward about it. And we don't have to be, you know, flaky about it, you know. But inside, we know we're not going to do that because of A, B, and C. We are tough-minded devotees of Christ who constantly choose the right priorities from the list of potential selections. You know, we are single-minded and Paul prohibited the loss of single-mindedness and the longing for an easy life. Paul, he, he didn't allow that. He invited Timothy, share in these sufferings for the gospel, dude. You're going to share in these sufferings with me. It's not easy, you know. So people want the flash, people want the top sort of 1% of the iceberg without paying the price. That big ice, that big 99% below the water is the work, is the sweat, is the tears. And that's the reality that holds up that little 1%. And we have to be willing to endure hardship as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. So that's, that's an important quality for us. The next important quality is that of a self-disciplined athlete. 2 Timothy 2 verse 5, and also if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he complete, competes according 
to the rules. Now I can, there's just so much within that, obviously from doing so many races and stuff, the Lord has really spoken to me, given me so many life lessons around sports and racing and athletics and training. Um, and there's so much within this, but an athlete needed to be self-disciplined. Actually, when they would do the games in these particular times, um, for about eight months or so before they competed in the, in the games that they would compete in, um, they were, they, they, it was like they signed, a, they signed a contract and their life was given over to that completely. They weren't allowed all the other normal everyday life um, sort of things like, you know, living at home, having a wife, a family, all of that was, they, they were totally committed and self-disciplined and focused on the games in, in eight months time. And um, it's not that we are like that today, but that's why I think that's why Paul used this particular picture of an athlete to illustrate the importance of complete devotion and self-discipline and stamina in Christian living. You see, performing as an athlete demands a commitment to a regimen of training and to the rules of the sport. It's, it, you have to know the rules, otherwise you'll be disqualified. And you have, there has to be a commitment to a regimen of training. There has to be that discipline. There has to be accounting of the cost. And each of us have a race that we're running in life. Do you know the commitment that is required in order for you to compete successfully in your race, to finish your race successfully? You know, my husband and I have been talking um, recently about our goals for next year for training and for racing. And yeah, the idea of races, it really excites me. Like, yes, you know, there's this one that I want to do in February. I'm doing that eight-mile swim. Then I'm doing, you know, I'll do, you know, maybe I can do SA Champs in March. And then in April, there's this really long mountain bike race. And I have a bit of beef with that race. And, I, and then I'm taking a step back and thinking, that race in April, do I really want to do it? Because if I sign up for it, sure, it'll be great to, you know, to do that race. But the training that is required for that race do I want to sign up? Because that means that my Saturdays are going to be spent on my mountain bike. Do I want to spend six, seven hours <laughs> on my mountain bike leading up to that race? And, you know, every weekend and I took a step back and I'm like, I think I need to think about that one, you know. Then another race, June, it's going to require this, that half Ironman. Okay, fine. Then towards the end of the year, my husband wants to do a marathon, Cape Town Marathon. I'm thinking, yeah, that sounds like fun. But then I'm thinking, what if I want to do this long mountain bike race at the end of next year? And then I'm also doing the marathon. Then the training for both of those. My weekends are going to be full of training. Of, like, where am I going to fit all of that running and cycling in? And I'm thinking, I don't know if I want to do that. You know, what am I doing? I'm thinking about the cost. Cost from a training and a discipline perspective that I in order that I complete, compete successfully, that I can compete successfully in those races. The thing is that we need to do that in our lives with our callings, with the race that God has placed us in. Each one of us have a race, you know, and there's a cost. And are we paying that? Are we being that disciplined athlete? You know, 
if I, I've, I've gone into a race, the first half Ironman race I did, I got my nutrition all wrong and I had the most awful stomach cramps. And that's the thing. Everything is important. Sleep is important. How you eat a week before your race, whether you are taking rehydration, you know, from two days before the race already, rehydrating, you know, the morning of the race, have you timed your food and the type of food and the carbs and the this and the, is it timed right? Is the, um, your, your, your drink, is it, is it, can you take plain gels or do they have to have the right osmotic, you know, potential and just lots of details. And we like that with natural races. And yet with our race, the race of life and our calling, you know, do we even consider what we need to be feeding ourselves? Do we need even consider the type of nutrition that we need to be taking? What are you feeding on? What are you eating? Are you eating something that will strengthen you for the race God has called you to? And are you running someone else's? race and are you dabbling in civilian affairs and being distracted and are you training right for your race because different races require different types of training and then also you have to taper when it's time to taper are you doing everything right you know so in our family the kids like to do soccer showdowns outside on the plot on on the big patch of grass um, in our estate and they, they love doing soccer showdowns and um, when you're training for a race, you can't always, like sometimes the boys will say to my husband, dad, 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 come and play soccer with us. We need to do a showdown. He'll say, I don't think I can because I'm, I've just done this run today or I'm doing this run tomorrow and, and I'm feeling a niggle and I'm not conditioned to play soccer and, I'm, and I think I'm going to get injured. Or maybe sometimes I'll go out and I'll think, oh, maybe I can join in with the kids. They don't like it when, they, when I join in. They used to say I tackled unfairly but I don't think I did but anyway <laughs> okay um I had to use something they were small I had to use my body weight okay because they were more skilled than me <laughs> okay but the point is that we can't entangle ourselves and get involved in things that will possibly backfire on us in terms of our race so we need to be disciplined athletes and Paul actually used this particular athletic imagery in a number of scriptures in in uh, and now I've scripted 1 Timothy 4, verse 7 to 8, uh, even uh, verse 6, chapter 6, verse 12. And he emphasizes that the Christian life demands the practice of self-discipline, which affects both personal behavior and inner attitude. Actually, let me just read those scriptures for you. 1 Timothy 4, verse 7 to 8. He says, reject profane, uh, 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 reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself toward godliness. So we exercise ourselves toward godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. 1 Timothy 6 verse 11 to 12, But you, man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. See, we must practice self-control. We must exercise ourselves toward godliness. We must pursue righteousness. Each Christian, each of us need to have an inner preparedness to endure cheerfully the demands and hardships that spiritual commitment will bring. 
Paul made a similar point in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24 to 27. He says, and I love this, he says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. Everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it for a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others I myself should be disqualified. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others I should become disqualified, really important, self-disciplined athlete. The last one is the diligent farmer. 2 Timothy 2 verse 6, the hardworking farmer must be the first to partake of the crops. Paul, Paul used this analogy of a farmer to show that the one who works hard has the first claim on the, on the fruits of the work. And the phrase to receive a share of the crops, theologians say that it's not an appeal for a diligent worker in the ministry to receive an adequate salary. It's actually a promise of a spiritual reward from God for a job devotedly done. Now the time of this reward may be in this current life or it may be on judgment day, maybe when we get to heaven. Um, but there is a reward for being a hardworking farmer. And um, the thing that's interesting about farmers is that there's a time for everything when you farm. You can't go on holiday when it's harvest time. You can't, you can't decide, oh, I'm just going to sleep in now for the next you know, couple of months because I'm tired of farming. You know, I don't feel like it. No, you have to get up and harvest. You, can't, you have to do what it's the time to do when it's the time to do it. When it's the time to sow, you have to sow. You can't say, I don't feel like sowing. I'm going to sow you know, in a couple of months' time. No. There's a time for everything. There's a discipline as well. And farming is hard work. I don't know if any of you have farmed or have relatives who farm, but it's hard work. And Paul frequently used the verb for hard working to describe the work of the ministry. I'm going to look at a couple of those scriptures. Romans 16 verse 6, he says, Greet Mary who labored much for us. Romans 16 verse 12, Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa who have labored in the Lord. Greet the beloved Persis who labored much in the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 10, but by the grace of God I am what I am and his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than all, than all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was within me. Paul worked hard. Whatever I am now, it's all because God poured out a special favor on me and not without results. For I have worked harder than any of the other apostles. Yet it was not I, but God who was working through me by his grace. That's from the NLT. Paul was underscoring the fact that the farmer who works hard will be first to enjoy the fruits and the diligent servant can expect the same. He was deliberately contrasting the energetic farmer with the farmer who is afraid to work. So a dominant thought is that labor, discipline, striving are the portion of him who would succeed in any enterprise be he soldier, athlete, or farmer. He's emphasizing the importance of hard work, of diligence. And I love this script. Well, I don't know if I love it, but this scripture is really, you know, always paints a vivid picture. 
for me a warning for me. Proverbs 24 verse 30 to 34 says, I went by the field of the lazy man and by the vineyard of the man devoid of understanding. And there it was, all overgrown with thorns. Its surface was covered with nettles. Its stone wall was broken down. And when I, con when I saw it, I considered it well. I looked on it and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. So shall your poverty come like a prowler and your need like an armed man. That can be poverty of spirit, poverty materially. That can be walls around our families, our marriages, um, our material possessions. That it's a picture of a lot of different things, but the point is that it's a great contrast to a diligent farmer. So I'm wanting to encourage us today to be strong. Whatever situation we find ourselves in, in our lives, whether we're experiencing suffering for the gospel, whether we're experiencing challenges, I'm wanting to encourage us to be strong. Be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. To be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. To be strong, to be strengthened in our inner man through His Holy Spirit. To know that God is with us, that He is strengthening us. Be strong. The second one is competent teacher. Be faithful to pass on that which God has given you. It ensures the um, it ensures the commission is fulfilled. It ensures that the gospel is preserved and spreads, okay, which is what God is concerned about. God is very concerned about that. Even if you aren't, God is concerned about that. The third one is being an enduring soldier, cultivating that quality in our lives, that we endure hardship as a as an enduring soldier, as a good soldier, that we make sure that we are concerned about what our commander with a capital C, that's Jesus Christ, what he thinks, that we're concerned about pleasing him. 24-7, we're wanting to please him, to live our lives in accordance with his word, with his will, with his principles. Enduring soldier, that we're a disciplined athlete, that we align our lives in such a manner that we're practicing ourselves towards godliness, that we're putting in the disciplines that we need to put in, that we are focused on our race, not everybody else's races, our race, what God has called us to, that we're training ourselves and making sure we are equipped to do the thing that he's called us to do, that we're feeding ourselves on the right stuff, our nutrition is right, that we're getting enough liquid, that we're drinking in the Holy Spirit, we're spending time in his presence and, and all of those good things, and that we also are diligent and hardworking, like that farmer that, that Paul describes to Timothy, a diligent farmer, hardworking farmer. We get up and we sow the seeds when we need to sow and we harvest when we need to harvest. We live our lives in accordance with the time and the schedule of our great uh, King in heaven. And so the conclusion of this pericope, just to make sure that I, I land it after all of those, those particular qualities I'm wanting to encourage us regarding. Remember the conclusion of this pericope was Paul refocusing on Christ as central to the gospel in terms of who he was and how he endured suffering. And, and Paul described the goal, the end goal of um, enduring and suffering from, from his perspective, which was other people and their salvation. And then he encourages Timothy regarding the sure reward of suffering for the sake of the gospel. And so there is a reward as we suffer. There is a reward as we pursue all these things, as we cultivate these qualities in our lives, as we run the race that is set before each one of us, as we endure, as we persevere um, in our lives. 
Yeah, so as we, as we conclude it, Paul exhorted his spiritual son Timothy to persevere in the face of suffering, to remain faithful in the ministry. He used various forms of imagery to depict the qualities that, this, that his spiritual son will need to do this. And these included those of a competent teacher, enduring soldier, self-disciplined athlete, hardworking farmer. He reminded Timothy of the focus of the gospel and the example of endurance that Jesus was and Paul was. Paul outlined the goal of suffering from his perspective and reminded Timothy of the sure reward that there would be for persevering and for being faithful in the sake of the gospel. And today I'm wanting to encourage us to do likewise. Amen. Let's, let's pray. Father, we lift up ourselves to you today. And we ask that you would strengthen us in our inner man through your Holy Spirit. We ask, Lord God, that you would help us to exemplify these qualities that we've discussed. That you would help us to be competent teachers. That you would help us, Lord God, to be like those enduring soldiers, self-disciplined athletes, Lord, and hardworking farmers. We pray that you would always help us to have before us the hope that we have in you, the reason for, for why we're doing this, Lord God. Love in our hearts as we do it for others, knowing that there truly is a sure reward at the end of it all. And we thank you for this, Lord God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.